Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Together again. You guys ready for this? I don't need to hold back, right? I can let it go, right? This is good. (laughs) All right. Well, today we're going to continue on with Pastor Steve's um, series, The Prophetic Church. And today mine has uh, 16 pages and three titles, so I'll try to spare you all the details and get you out by like one, two o'clock. Does that sound good? Is that good? All right. But seriously, it's uh, The Prophetic Church, How to Hear the Voice of the Holy Spirit by Developing a Spiritual Discipline of Silence and Solitude. Sounds exciting, right? (laughs) Well, hey, I came to uh, Bethel Cleveland. It's funny. It's been almost 11 years ago this morning. And 11 years ago, my life looked a lot different. I was a single guy in my early 20s. And now I'm married to my lovely wife and three children. Um, Hi. (laughs) Um, But back then, I was on like a spiritual pilgrimage and journey into discovering the voice of God and the call on my life. And I came into an atmosphere of prophetic worship that I'd only experienced on YouTube and old Jesus Culture DVDs. Jerry. (laughs) Okay, for those of you who don't know, um, DVDs, they were these discs that we used to put into a machine and watch movies on. (laughs) Well... I saw a church alive. You know, this is a group of people not focused only on the personality of a leader, but focused on the radical belief that God is speaking. And they believed that God um, was speaking and they would act on it, that heaven would come to earth. These are not fake it till you make it people. They were people who believed it. Worship, it didn't skip through the songs, but it lingered and waited until a fresh wind of the Spirit would come. We kind of do that, don't we? (laughs) That's sort of our thing. It's our secret sauce. It was as if this wind caught everyone's sails and pulled us higher. Have you ever felt like that? I even felt like today there was a little bit of a wind happening so that when we kind of flowed into singing about His worthiness and exalting His name, it's almost like you go up and up and up and you catch that wind. None of that was planned, by the way. We did that all on the fly. He knew, we just didn't. But um, when the word came, when it was time for the preaching, it wasn't just beautiful, it wasn't pretty. I mean, it was a little pretty. (laughs) But it wasn't abstract. And the sermon that was being preached, it provoked a response. You guys ever heard a word that that grows legs and brought movement in your life? Now, this is my favorite part. Now, following service, there was a literal crowd. You had to sometimes get a number and a ticket to wait for prophetic ministry. And they had these, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. They had these little tape recorders. Does anybody remember what those were? This is before cell phones. This is before you had your voice memos that you would hit. They were literally a little mini cassette, like, like brick-sized thing. And there were these people who would anxiously wait. I don't know if they had these things or if they bought them just to get the prophetic word, uh, but they they showed up and they would hold this box, this big old stereo speaker in their face and say, what is God saying about me? (laughs) That was a little different. 
you know? It's a little different than maybe church uh, that I was used to growing up in. When we had ministry time at the end, it was more like, come up and, come up and pray and be like, oh God, I just pray that there would be a healing presence. I'm sorry that your life is so terrible right now, but it'll get better one day when Jesus comes back. Or you're <laughs> that, was sort of, that was a little bit of my experience, you know, but like this was not that. One of these things is not like the other, and this was a different kind of uh, ministry than what I had seen, okay? And bottom line is, I think that there's many people out there who come to church to speak to God, who do a lot of talking. But there's a much smaller group of people who come to speak to God and expect a response. But you know what? An even smaller pool of people who would speak to God, listen, and then respond in faith. Right? In 2009, I walked into a church that was founded on the mountain. And when I say mountain, I mean a mountaintop experience of strong connection with God. And identified a group. This group fit into a smaller pocket. So Bethel Cleveland's prophetic foundation is this, that we can hear and respond to the voice of God and that when we do, his kingdom is released. This is who we are. This is who you are. Bethel Cleveland has always been a mountain people. It's always attracted those with the courage and the audacity to believe that God is speaking to them and that if they would lift their essential prophetic voice, you know, not just sitting in the crowd waiting for somebody else to do it, not just looking to the left or the right and waiting for somebody else to speak it, but there was an ownness, an ownership on me that I have something specific in me that needs to be released into this world that nobody else will ever be able to do, that I'm uniquely different. My life experiences and the way that I have heard from God will never be like anybody else's. So when I speak out, it releases something utterly unique into the atmosphere. Do I have any mountain people in the room with me today? <laughs> if you're online, just give me like the praise emoji. <laughs> so mountain people, have you ever felt like you didn't belong in church as normal? I know some of you do. I see how you worship. I can say that because you see how I worship. I'm a little crazy too. <laughs> or that maybe you were different. That maybe your appetite where the Spirit of God didn't match the culture around you. Hmm? I want you to think back this morning. Think back to, um, think back to your first encounter in a spirit, spiritually powerful environment, like your first experience stepping out of maybe religion or ritual, and when you first experienced it, what your response was. Now, I know most of you are probably like, well, bless God, the, the Spirit came, and I, I just responded to it. <laughs> It was amazing. But for me, my first experience was um, I was playing piano at the church I went to ministry school, Victory Christian Center. And um, we were just worshiping. I mean, it was really engaged, and I was really enjoying it. When all of a sudden, the, this group of 20 people came out onto the stage with big Lord of the Rings-style weaponry and swords. I thought something was going to happen. <laughs> And I remember standing at the piano, one of them came over with a sword and went over at me. And I thought, what has happened to me, Lord? Where am I? But even once you get past that awkward moment where you're like, okay, so this is different. Okay, that happened. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm just remembering. There's a video of it happening to me, and I, 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 can, I have, like, normal eyes. Like, typically, I think if you look at my eyes, you wouldn't say, like, anything special or different about them, but, man, they were as big as dinner plates on that video. It was just, like, big white plates you could see from, like, all the way through. <laughs> but, you know what? After the shock wore off, and, you know, after I got some prayer, um, I felt a rightness settle in my heart. Do you know what? It's almost like, almost like a sigh of relief. Like you didn't know that you were tensing your body and you relieved. It was a sign that communicated that I found my tribe. I found a place where I don't have to pretend or cloak what I'm experiencing in God, but that it's actually part of the fabric of the organization. And that's what I found. So mountain people, you belong in a prophetic church. You do. This is your home. So turn to your Bibles or turn on your Bible app for Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And I just want to read you this passage of Scripture. I feel like this would be an excellent manifesto for the uh, prophetic church. It's going to set the tone for where we're going to go because we're going to dive deep. There's going to be a lot of deep breathing happening here today, okay? So we'll do uh, chapter 1, verse 3. This is the Passion Translation. It says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped in Christ. And this is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. Because in love, he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. And because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for the beloved Jesus, he has for us. Did you get that? I'm going to say it again. His tremendous love that cascades over us, it glorifies his grace because he has the same love for us that he does for his beloved Jesus. So in verse 7, since we're now joined to Christ, we've been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, which is the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. And this superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desire to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he delighted to implement from the beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment, there it is, of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Let's, let's skip on down to verse 13 because the first one's about Jews. I'm kidding, we'll go to 11. It says, through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny. Come on, let this sink in. Let the, this is the word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I think it's good that we're diving into a passage like this. I know it's a little bit long. Breathe. <clears throat> Stretch your shoulders. Let's go back in. God's purpose was that we, the Jews, who were first to long for the messianic hope, would be the first to believe in the anointed one and give great praise to glory to God. And because of him, when you who are not Jews, that's me, some of us in the room, 
heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. And now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Can you say it with me? Say, I have been stamped with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Say it again. I have been stamped with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Let's go on to verse 14. He has given to us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring for the first installment of what's coming. He is our hope promise of future inheritance, which seals us until we have all, until we have all of redemption promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. So, so how can we say, how can we as the prophetic church rise up and honor the Holy Spirit and hear what he's saying? How can we hear and speak out what the Holy Spirit is saying in a way that releases transformation? Let's talk about the prophetic church, how you can begin to hear the Holy Spirit more clearly today, within the next 20 minutes. Are you up for this? Okay, relax. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. He's going to break some old cycles here today. You will have new paths to hearing the Holy Spirit more clearly this morning. So here we go. Number one. This is just kind of a bullet point that dropped in my head earlier during worship today. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, refer to him as himself. I know that sounds super basic, but I think we've gotten in some habits. Let me, tell me if some of these phrases sound familiar to you. Maybe you've said some, maybe you've heard someone say them. Oh, the presence was so strong. Oh, I felt some presence on that song. I felt some presence on that word. Oh, the presence broke some chains off today. Mm-mm. Have you heard things like that? Holy Spirit isn't an abstract idea. He is not some mystical momentum or energy creating an effect in the room. He is a person. He is a being. He is the spirit of Jesus. And I think that we like to reduce him sometimes to an abstract idea because um, if we do that, an effect in the room that we, that we look at or an, an idea has no opinions. It doesn't really have a voice. It's just a gauge for measurement. And sometimes I get worried that when we, when we, we depersonalize the Holy Spirit, that we start to kind of use the effects of his nature as some kind of validation for what we think success in the kingdom is or in the room. Like Michael Kuliano says, he is his presence. So I want you to, I challenge you, let's take some of that word out of our language, yeah? Let's stop calling it the presence. Let's start calling it the Holy Spirit and talk to him like a person. All right. Let's do it now. Close your eyes, and then we're going to dive deep. I've got a lot of things to talk about. Some of them you won't like, but don't worry, I'll make you laugh about it. Um, (laughs) Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you today. We open our hearts. We open our ears. Anything that you have to say is infinitely more important than any other word spoken by anybody else. So come. Come and do some radical stuff in my heart, in our hearts and in our understanding of who you are. Amen. So, how can we hear the Holy Spirit more clearly and more consistently? There's two disciplines I want to talk about today. Uh, They're profoundly simple. They're not disciplines that you will necessarily read about in a lot of books. They're not in the top five list of tools for spiritual development. 
and you probably haven't seen a lot of classes on this topic. Yet, they're, the mo- they're some of the most needed, valuable, and underutilized disciplines in the church and humanity as a whole today. And if we can practice these disciplines, then we can rise up and become the prophetic church that's actively establishing his kingdom in our nation, cities, and neighborhoods. So, I'd like to talk to you about building a strong habit of hearing the Holy Spirit speak through a spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. But before I get there, to understand the value of silence and solitude, we need to understand the culture that we're living in and kind of recognize it for what it is. Do you ever get used to seeing something that you don't notice it anymore? Sometimes I think that's what's happening in our culture. Um, Sometimes, uh, in a lot of ways, we're a frog in the pot with the heat rising. So I'm going to talk to you about some ideas that may challenge you or poke you, and I promise to make you chuckle. But what's the most common conclusion when we talk about something that's out of, like, sociological norms or, or countercultural? You see this a lot on social media. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're being religious. You're being paranoid. You're overthinking. Not to say that some of you don't, but in this instance. <laughs> but at the end of the day, aren't we all just frogs in the same pot? So let's listen to the Holy Spirit this morning and let him take off the cultural lid so that we can see it from heaven's perspective. So I'm going to talk to you about one of the greatest inhibitors towards silence and solitude. And no, it's not your children. That's right. I'm going to talk about your phones. Quick, cuddle them close. You might not like them much when I'm done. (laughs) I'm just going to give you straight up facts. These are no judgment. Okay, I promise. I got my phone in my pocket. I felt guilty. Okay, um... All right. Did you know that the average iPhone user will touch their phone? How many times a day do you think you touch your phone? Just think about it right now. Think about it, okay? I will tell you, the average person, it's 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day. 75% of y'all, you sleep with your phone next to you. And 90% of that pocket who sleep with their phone by their bed, the second you become conscious, you are on your phone. Am I talking to anybody today? Am I talking to anybody today? You're all like, I don't really do it all the time. (laughs) Yes, you do. It's okay. But we're all frogs bobbing next to each other. Let's talk about it. So, here's the question. This is just basic. Let's talk about real-life stuff for a second here. What are the effects of checking your phone within one hour of waking up? This is an article from Jerry Rumor. Just the ideas. Um, When you look at your phone first, number one, stress and anxiety skyrocket. Some of you are like, no, it doesn't. I just look at Instagram. Really? Really? Okay. Um, You'll be bombarded with messages and to-dos that create a feeling of stress and anxiety. Dr. Nicole says, immediately turning your phone. She's she's a doctor from the University of Sweden, by the way. It's not my friend, but, you know. Immediately turning to your phone when you wake up can start your day off in a way that's more likely to increase stress and leave you feeling overwhelmed. And that same study measured people in their 20s and um, kind of the the effects of smartphone usage on their lives. And studies showed that high mobile phone use was directly correlated to increased reports of depression. So we're stressed and depressed. That's that's not good S. No good S's. Your time and attention are hijacked, number two. 
You want to know why? Because you're allowing other people's opinions, advertising requests to pollute your thinking. Think about what you see first on your phone. Do you follow any news outlets that send you notifications? Anybody have news notifications? Or we all turn those off? I did a while ago, but... If you do that, did you know there's a negativity bias? They did like a bunch of random studies on um, people and what articles interest them, and they found that the neutral and happy ones no one clicked on. There was only the negative ones. So the odds are that if you're getting news notifications the second that you wake up, it's going to be a calamitous disaster or something stressful because that's the only thing you like. That's the only thing you click on. I'm sorry, I'm not speaking it over you, but it is what it is, so we'll break it off later. Um... So, these formative moments upon waking will be the frame of mind that you approach your day and will greatly affect your receptivity to the voice of God. So, we're his prophetic church, but to operate in truth, our every thought must be calibrated by his voice and not all the chatter of all the other worldly, other countless perspectives that you're digesting into your subconscious within your first hour of waking. Okay? And number three, you prime your brain for distraction the rest of the day. So when you're checking social media or email, um, you might not feel like it, it's feeling good to you. It might be stressful, but it's actually making your brain trigger a great big release of dopamine. So this makes you feel rewarded. And this is basically candy for your brain. So how many people are on a diet here today? Anybody? If you, I guess everyone's so healthy. I'm so proud of you. I feel like I'm always on diets. <laughs> but if you start your day with candy, what's the rest of your day look like? If you wake up and eat a big old Snickers bar or a Kit Kat, what are you going to eat the rest of the day? It's all downhill from there, right? <laughs> um, same thing with your brain. You're actually going to stimulate repetition of behaviors that led to that release in the first place. So you're actually going to be on your phone even more. Nielsen even says that the average adult right now is spending 11 hours on screens a day. So all that to say, um, when was the last time that you were bored? <laughs> Do you, I remember being a kid. This is, I, I remember before the internet. Gosh, I'm getting old. Um, and I remember um, being a kid and complaining about how bored I was. My parents would tell me, you know, the typical, find something to do or, or I'll give you something to do. <laughs> now we just pass them a tablet. But are we ever bored? So, okay, get this. We no longer cook or clean in silence, right? Most of us are blasting music or television shows during those tasks. 88% of adults take their phone with them when they're using the bathroom. We'll stop right there. <laughs> Ew. Okay, and then number four, we listen to music or podcasts at the store, at the gym, on walks during nature. <laughs> Listen to this. This is Sean Parker. This is Facebook's first president. Um, I'll probably get a little notification. Sorry, guys, on this. But um, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or post or whatever, and that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. And it's exactly the kind of thing a hacker like myself, this is Sean speaking, would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Okay. I'm getting to the end of my diagnosis. It's about to get bleaker. I'm so sorry. But it's going to get better. I promise. In 2000, the average adult span was 12 seconds. 
But now, it's dropped to eight seconds. Let me give you some perspective. A goldfish's attention span is nine seconds. So in 2021, goldfish are pulling ahead when it comes to, like, they're able to hold their attention on something on human beings. Your goldfish can pay attention longer than you. You're like, Jay, it's not fair. I'm multitasking. No, you're not. You can't focus on one thing at a time anymore. Okay, I love you. Moving on. Um, I'd like to read. I know I'm doing a lot of reading, but you have to understand. I recently went on vacation. It was a long one. I read five books, so I've got a lot inside of me. I just have to get it out to you. Um, this is a book that Pastor C's been recommending. If you would like it, I saw it actually in the bookstore after service. So if you, if you like this portion, you want to pick it up, it's right out there. Um, it's called Live Not By Lies. And I'm going to read this to you. It says, we're living in a world of consumer capitalism. Now, this is a term coined by Shoshana Zuboff, former Harvard Business School professor. In 2019 book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, she describes and analyzes a new form of capitalism created by Google, perfected by Amazon and Facebook. So surveillance capitalism it hovers up detailed personal data about individuals and analyzes it with a sophisticated algorithm to predict people's behavior. So the aim is to suggest you know, goods or services that you might like, but the deeper uh, realities of surveillance capitalism are a little more sinister. The masters of data aren't simply trying to find out what you like, they're now at work making you like what they want you to like without their manipulation being detected. So this began in 2003 when Google patented process. This is facts. You can look this up. They patented a process to allow it to use the vast amount of data it gathered from searches in a new way. And they figured out how to utilize what they call data exhaust. It's like surplus information, like completed like searches when you type it in, to predict the kind of advertising that would appeal to you. So before long, data extraction became the basis for a new tech economy. So Google, Amazon, and Facebook, you ever wonder how you see an, like you see an ad, you were talking about something, all of a sudden it pops up on your feeds? This is how they do it. Um, discovered how to make a fortune by gathering, packaging, and selling your personal data. Yeah. So consider this. The alarm on your smartphone by your bedside buzzes. You wake up. While you're sleeping, the apps on your phone uploaded the previous day's information about your activities on it. You crawl out of bed, brush your teeth, maybe go for a run. And the Fitbit on your wrist records your workout information, uploads it. Back at home, you shower, go in the kitchen. Check your Gmail, your Facebook, your favorite news information sites, and everything you write on Gmail is processed by Google, which, by the way, scans the text for keywords to direct advertising to you. The company's algorithms are so sophisticated now that Facebook can make detailed predictions about you just by associating certain data points. So when you scan newspaper websites, there's cookies embedded in your browser report back about which stories you've, you've read. And as you drive to work, the sensors in your car report your driving habits because you've allowed your car insurance company to capture this for a lower rate. And meanwhile, the insurance company's sensors record data about which stores you shop at and then report all that data back to the insurance company, which sells that data to the marketers. So all day long, the smartphone in your pocket sends data about its location and therefore you all day long back to your service provider. So you're trackable at all time. So all the requests you make to Siri, your digital assistant, or Alexa, recorded and monetized. I felt betrayed too. You go out to lunch and pay uh, with your debit or credit card, marketers know what you've eaten and they match the state of your personal profile. Shop at the store, they know what you bought. Your smart TV is doing the same thing, and this is the last piece right here that's kind of a little frightening, is that there is a, a company called Realize that is actually developing uh, facial recognition data to make it possible for your TVs to analyze your emotions during ads so that it can read if you like it or not. 
This is something that's already happening in China, by the way. So, so we've got all that happening. And then you go onto our social media platforms where Twitter and Facebook are routinely like booting people who violate their standards. This is what it says. It says, any expression that has potential to intimidate, exclude, or silence others. For example, Twitter now boots users who misgender or deadname transgender people. And PayPal started refusing, refusing services to those who don't align with their values, too. So what am I getting at? Ephesians 6.12, your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms for their powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. So we're not simply advancing into a more comfortable world with all these technological advances. This is a heavily financed and focused effort to eliminate silence and solitude from your life. And this is not an old plan. You can read back in, in the 30s when all this Huxley's, Huxley's book came out, Brave New World. Um, this is a, a little uh, conversation I wanted to share with you from the story. It's a free thinker from a world controller. I know I'm doing a lot of reading, but I love it. Do you like it? I like it too. The free thinker is talking with the boss who runs the system. He says, then you think there is no God? Well, no, I think there probably is one. But he manifests himself in different ways to different men. So like in pre-modern times, he manifested himself as the being that's described in these books, the Bible. Well, now, how does he manifest himself? Well, he manifests himself as in absence, as though he weren't there at all. He says, okay, but, but all the same, it's natural to believe in God when you're quite alone in the night thinking about death. I know that sounds kind of dark, but it made me think of Romans 119 that um, in reality, the truth of God is known instinctively for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. The conversation ends with the world controller saying, but people are never alone now. We make them hate solitude. Do you feel like your behaviors would insinuate that you hate solitude? And we arrange their lives so that it's impossible for them to never have it. Now, isn't this the most genius plan? You don't need the most terrible of sins or addictions to keep a follower of Christ at bay. You don't need to tempt them with something outrageous. You only need to ensure that they remain distracted and live a life full of noise. And this is the way that we step out into our role as the prophetic church because because our day-to-day -day is, this is when we step out of the role and we're not functioning because we're stepping out of the steady voice of God and leaning into the chattering voices and opinions on our phones and in our busy lives. And the biblical principle is that you become what you behold. So what's occupying the top spot of your life? Not based on your high values, that what you think is ideal or what you hope that you do, but rooted in your core values, the values that you believe to be true and that you respond actively, instinctually, and immediately in your life? Is it hearing his voice above all others? How can we be the prophetic church of God's dreams if there are other voices taking our focus from his? And this is why silence and solitude is a critical discipline to ensure that you're given the space in your life to actively listen to the voice of God so you can actively engage and partner with the Holy Spirit. You see, our overly connected and overstimulating lives are robbing us of a simplicity and peace that we were intended to live in through our closeness with the Holy Spirit. How many of you felt more exhausted than usual or like butter scraped over too much bread? <laughs> I did it. 
You're welcome in the back. <laughs> I think it's true. Some of us, we can even have a weekend off. We can have literally two days where we don't do anything, and we feel just as tired and thin. Why? It's because we weren't designed to live like this. What kind of life were we made for? What ideas were in the Father's mind when he was dreaming and creating and fashioning this like multi-layered, complex physical reality that we exist in? You see, when God created the earth, he spoke it into being. Can I share a verse from a song that I haven't played for anyone yet? Here. Just two lines from it. It says that there was a tree held love on its branches, ran red with the passion of Jesus, the first word. Jesus was the first word. It says in John 1 that um, in the beginning was the word. And you know, and the word was with God, and the word was God. More on what God's created. There's so many different scriptures. 1 Kings 8, 27 says, Behold, heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you. Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. 2 Chronicles 2, 6. The heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So heaven is not a place that is housing God. Heaven exists in him. The earth is his furniture. He's not, um, he's not just habitating in his creation. It's his creation is existing within him. So how are we designed to live? The divine intention of Jesus is that we would live with a high level of receptivity to his voice. Is anybody out there who has kids, do you know when you hear a kid cry if it's yours? Do you know what kind of cry it is? Injured? really hurt, not hurt, just mad. <laughs> Faking, thanks. <laughs> so to become the prophetic church who can hear the Holy Spirit, we must be attuned to his voice so that we can hear it in the middle of our crowded and noisy lives. We focus outside of the temporal and into the eternal. Hmm. How do we access this type of connection and begin to really hear the voice of God. I quoted this last time I was here. It's just been on my heart a lot. C.S. Lewis, that the, the present is where time touches eternity. So we access it by being connected in the present moment. But we strengthen and cement, cement this by cultivating a spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Let's dig into this because I am running out of time. So what do we need to silence? Let's just get practical for a second. What do we need to silence? Uh, the external, which is our phones, our TVs, our devices. But then we also need to silence the internal. See, the challenge and, and struggle is that many of us use extreme busyness and an overconnected lifestyle to distract ourselves from what's really going on in our heart and in our heads. Because if you look at your life, how much of the things that are difficult, things that stress you out, things that you are worried about, how many of those problems are, are you even going to remember in two years? And how many of those are actually probably the result of blessing? You're like, oh, Lord, send me. My ladies are, are men. Oh, Lord, send me this man. Let me get married. And then two years later, oh, God, why did you give me this man? Help me. Change him, Lord. Change him. Okay. <laughs> 
but it's a blessing. Two years before that, you were saying, oh God, let me find the right person. I want to I wanna be married. I want to experience that covenant connection. Give it to me. He gives it to you, and then you face the maintenance and the stewardship of it, and we start to say, like, oh my goodness, um, I didn't ask for this. This is a curse on my life, and I need you to, like, r- remove it from me, Lord. Remove them. <laughs> but you asked for it. How many struggles are you facing in your life right now that you asked for? They're not even bad. They're just the results and effects of stewardship. God gave you a gift, and you got to steward it. Right? So, a lot of the stuff going on in our brain, I say this with respect as a human being. It's not wildly complex. (laughs) It's not too difficult to figure out. Usually it's the profoundly simple things that are the difficult things, yeah? Because it's not a problem to solve, but it's a principle or concept that we need to apply in our lives that we're not. Examples. I need to forgive. I've been harboring a grudge. I've been really insecure. I've been struggling with my thought life. Maybe some are saying I've been struggling with my sexual or gender identity. I'm not feeling connected in in, in important relationships in my life. Those internal voices tend to take center stage when we have when we have no silence in our lives. So the moment that we start to think about those things and the busyness slows down, we tend to kind of gravitate towards the things that distract us, right? But when we start to practice the silence, because those are the two principles, what are we doing? We're silencing the, the external, all the outside noise, and then we're silencing the internal. We're giving ourselves a, for a chance for our, what was that quote? Our soul to catch up with our body and to hear what's really happening inside of us. Because it's only when we quiet the internal and external that we can listen and sense what the Holy Spirit is saying in the present moment. Because your brain will be off in la-la land somewhere else in the future or past. And you won't be able to touch his heart there because you can only do it in the present. Let's dive into solitude, this other principle. In Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized by John, the Spirit of God, descended in the form of a dove, and an audible voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This was the launch of Jesus' ministry. But the next verse says that he was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So the Greek word for desert here is eremos. And it didn't necessarily just mean a treacherous wilderness. It meant desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary, lonely, my favorite, quiet place. So the desert wasn't a place where Jesus was weakened. It was a place that he was strengthened. I think a lot of us, when we hear that story, we think that Jesus was starving for 40 days and then the devil shows up and tries to tempt him at a weak spot to get him to trip up. But the truth is, uh, over and over again, you see the same word pop up over and over again. Whenever it says that Jesus went to the mountain, Eremos. When it says that Jesus went into the woods to pray by himself, Eremos. He returned to this place because it was in the silence. It was in the solitude that he was able to hear from God and to to absorb the word of what the Father was saying and to absorb the grace and and the spirit that he needed to be able to carry out the miracles that he was going to do. He went to the Eremos not to be weak, but he went there because it strengthened him. So if we're supposed to be Jesus followers, then we need to start to orient our life and actually look at the habits of Jesus himself on the earth. And what did he do? He always went to the Eremos. When he ministered at the end of a long day, he didn't kick back and turn on Netflix. He went to the Eremos to connect and hear from the Lord. But 
okay, one disclaimer, then we're gonna, we're gonna dive into some ministry time. If I can get Joe up here at some point. So solitude isn't isolation. Proverbs 18.1, man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against wise judgment. So isolation is when you're trying to escape the world and basically escape yourself and numb it up a little bit and get out, right? That's isolation. Solitude is intentionally setting time apart to feed and water your soul. So I have some experiments for you that you can practice. Now, this is from John Mark Comer's The uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. That book will change my life. I think it would yours too. Um, these are like core exercises for silence and solitude, and they won't help you outright um, like with necessarily silence and solitude alone, but they'll help you to begin to stop running past the throne and start focusing in on it. So number one, drive the speed limit. Does everyone do that here? I know you're thinking, five over, Jay. Drive speed limit. Another exercise for you is uh, get into the slow lane. You ever done that? No, you probably don't. You're like, okay, three cars there, two cars there. I'm going with the two. Come to a full stop. These are a lot. You can check this out in the book. I'll keep this... uh, to a minimum, but um, my favorite is parent your phone, put it to bed early and let it sleep in late. Single task. Stop multitasking all the time. Walk slower. When I was a kid, I used to brag about being a faster walker than those slow pokes at the mall. <laughs> Walk a little slower. Hey, everyone like this one. Take long vacations. Cook your own food and eat in. Put your phone in grayscale. Ask me about that later. And lastly, this is, this is the big one. You ready? Silence and solitude. All of these things for a spirit-filled life where the Holy Spirit can come and get you. And this, one's gonna, this one hits me close to home. It's to treat interruptions as invitations. You know, when I went on vacation, I was on the heels of reading this book, and I, I, I put my phone in grayscale, and I decided, well, what's going to happen if I just put this in a drawer? And I just did an experiment for a week where I didn't have my phone out all the time. I was that. I, I totally did that. I'd wake up and scan through my social media pages. But I started waking up early, like 6 or 7. I would, I would sit out, and we had this um, place where you could sit where you could see the water, and you could hear birds, and it was just beautiful. I would sit there, and... I would, I would just read, I would read the word, and I would pray. And about this, the third day doing this, I get a little, I hear a little tap on the window. And I look over, and there's my oldest, Josie. She's in her pink nightgown, looking cute as a button. And uh, she asked, can you take me on a walk? I said, okay. Sorry, I don't want to get emotional. So we walked up and down these neighborhoods, and it was just beautiful in the sunshine and took millions of pictures and just talked and asked her questions about her life. And then every day for the rest of vacation, she'd wake up at five or six and she'd peek in our bedroom until I woke up so that she wouldn't miss it. Busy Jay would have missed that. How much of your life are you missing? All this clutter, all this hurry, all this worry, 
How many of these moments are you missing? From a father's perspective, my response to that level of desire, it caught my attention. I stopped just waking up when I waked up, wanted to wake up on vacation. I set an alarm so that I wouldn't miss that walk. And the Holy Spirit's response to you will increase as you make listening a priority. And this is how we live out our destiny as a prophetic church. To release truth, we have to know truth. And his name is Jesus. His spirit, this morning in this room, is speaking to you. And to fully realize who you are, you got to learn how to hear him every day. Not just in a worship sermon or sermon or, or the right spiritual environment where there's pretty music in the background and you've been led into a moment. But every day, every moment, got to learn how to calibrate our minds so that we don't wake up in 10 years and find that everything we think and believe was shaped by somebody else, but shaped by his voice. So the tools I talked about today, silence, solitude, sounds super basic, right? But just like I said, that there's principles and things that we have to apply that are simple. This isn't the be-all, end-all solution. These are starting points. They aren't like full-baked solutions because God delights in baking it with you. This is part of the process and journey of being led by the Spirit of God and not the intention of businesses or culture or spiritual forces of darkness. Find your silence. Find your solitude. Discover the Eremos. Allow it to transform you. Would you stand up today, tonight? Feels like a night to me. I'd like to invite our ministry teams to come forward. Um, if you're a BSSM alumni, you too can line up across the front. What I'd like to do, though, is I feel like this is kind of a special, a special call because it's it, a lot of times we'll talk about something or a topic that feels um, expansive and maybe spe- specific to a certain type of person. But I think that we're all human beings in this world. And I think we can all relate to this diagnosis. And you're here today because God's giving you a gentle tap on your shoulder saying, wake up. So I want to do two things. We're going to take corporate communion together. But if you are wrestling with this monster of busyness and worry, and if you feel like there is an absence of silence and solitude in your life, What I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you for these last few minutes of service to come forward out of your chair, kind of fill up this altar, and lay it down before the Lord today. I know you're getting your communion cups out, but I just feel like there's always something powerful about coming forward and saying, Lord, I'm bringing with me all of this struggle, all of these heavy things. And in my own strength, I don't have the ability to necessarily be released. I don't have the strength in me or the willpower to to be able to all of a sudden be silent in solitude, but I want to surrender today. So if that's you, you can take your communion cup and come up here and just kneel on the floor before the Lord. I feel like he wants to say something to some specific people today.
So why don't you hold up the bread and let's pray together. Jesus, you said in your word that at your table in communion to do this in remembrance of you and to remember who we belong to. Father, if there be any wickedness or heaviness or evil in our lives, I just, I just, we surrender it. Father, we lay it at your feet and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. We repent, make our heart right before you. Why don't you hold up the bread? And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Go ahead and eat. And in that same night, he lifted up the cup. He said, this wine is the blood of my new covenant. Drink. And whenever you do, remember me. So we drink in that new promise. Go ahead. Isn't he just amazing? He's a good God. He's so worthy of praise. He's so worthy of every part of our heart and lives. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask Joe to play for a little bit longer. And I'm going to pray and bless you. But if there is, if you feel like a pressure in your heart to lay some things down, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is calling some people here today. And if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or maybe re-gift it to him. You can do that right now. So if that's you, put your hand over your heart. We'll pray. Jesus, I am so grateful for everything that you've done. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. Come into my heart. I make you Lord of my life, and I surrender to you. I will follow you the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus. If you just prayed that, we have an I have decided slide. Please text your name and email to that number and come forward for ministry um, so that we can pray for you in person. But put up your right hand. I'm going to pray over you. I know it's a lot of praying, but it's good prayers, right? <laughs> Bethel Cleveland, I bless you in the name of Jesus to go out of this place learning how to find your chill, find your silence, find your solitude, that you would find the voice of God, that it's always been speaking, that the dial and the volume of his voice in your life would turn up as you, as you isolate and put yourself alone with him, that the other noises would fade away and that you would begin to hear the voice of God. Maybe it's been years since you've heard it, but now when you walk out of these doors, you will hear the voice of God like you used to 10, 15 years ago, at the height of your passion, at the height of your following and your journey with Jesus. I pray that the Lord would come in with his fire in your life and ignite your first love, that you would experience and encounter the Holy Spirit like you did decades ago, and that it would transform you, that it would release transformation in the lives of everyone around you. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said, amen.